Okay, you ready? And how? I'm trying a diff little bit of a different setup, so. Okay. I think it's. I think we're good to go. No, um, what's it called? Pop cover? No. Okay. Whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> Are they ever going to start paving your roads out there or just continue to rip every road up? Did they? Were they doing that when you were here? No, I'm just saying I, I drove in, but now it's all the way out to the entrance. I don't know. It's, it's been like that for up. like a, maybe a week at the most. Yeah, but I don't see any like new paving. I mean, I'm assuming, yeah, that's what they're going to do eventually. Well, based on how it looks now, I don't think so. I think this, these are your roads now forever, as far as I can tell. Are these all whoop whoop? Um, I don't know. It's the entire song split up over nine buttons. <laughs> Parts in rhythm, nipple on my ear, please be my friend. It sounds like he says nipple on the ear. Mm. All right. Happy 2020. Yeah. I was just calling you back to uh, let you know that I, I love you. And I miss you. <laughs> that was a suggestion from Arian, actually. I wasn't sure how well it would work without the visual. Uh-huh. But, but it works. It still works. I really, I really want you to call me back. <laughs> Her heartbreak is our joy. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And isn't that a 2020 mood? Mm-hmm. It is. Let's ponder that. Um. So we really, huh? Yeah, are just here to mainly do the outsider. Correct. Okay. Sure. Like for the next few weeks, that's yeah. that's our dock. That's going to be the plan. driving force. We'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh. Just. So the Outsider new HBO series coming out uh -huh. starting Sunday, right? Yes, that's okay. Um, it's all going in. Yeah, well, it wouldn't be a podcast without whoop whoop whoop. Without your whoop, whoop. without your whoop whoop. Welcome to the. <laughs> we got fun, animal. <laughs> <laughs> Did you read his Grown Ups 3 script? I didn't. No. <laughs> you should. So, have you, so you've seen a trailer for The Outsider. Uh -huh. Any expectation? I, I, before we even talk about it, I just want to gauge, it's 10 episodes long. Is, is it limited? That's it? I mean, right now, and, and it's one book. It's not a series. Right. So, you know, but... um. 
Well, that's kind of com. We can talk about that too. Okay. Um, you think you're going to make it through all 10? I guess I have to, right? Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, <clears throat> how committed are you to this thing? Um, I'm committed. The, the, I'm committed as long as we keep the schedule. As long as the soundboard I will, is I working. will be here every Tuesday. Tuesday. That's okay. what I will commit to. Okay. I won't commit to watching all 10 episodes. Okay. But I'll be here, whether I've Mounting, watched it or not. Manning the soundboard. Exactly. Uh, I have started reading the book. What? Yeah. On uh, Audible? With your eyes? With my eyeballs. No. Yeah. How have you stayed awake for more than two pages? I don't know. It's working on me for some reason. The book is working, right? Yeah. yeah. How far into it are you? Um, I am at the point where uh, there's like a big long chapter when he when they're like doing their back and forth, their interrogation back and uh, forth. Yeah, and just so I just finished that chapter. Yeah, between people, really. Really good. Um, uh, see, I'm not that like the story is driving me forward. Uh-huh. I don't feel like it's particularly well written. I feel like the character. I don't know. The the all of the characters are like off for. Okay, me. I'm I'm talking. I think more about the structure. Sure. So this is something else that we can talk about. I think Stephen King is really good at structuring a story. Right, kind of putting together a story that's interesting, even if the story itself doesn't follow all the way through. I have read a lot of his stories and I do feel like he struggles with endings, Mm -hmm. but there's usually a point where I'm about halfway through his book, almost any book. And it just hits me like, this is just really well constructed. Yeah. Just, he's doing something with the premise or the way that he is approaching the situation just has skill, mm-hmm. right? You can, you can see it and sure. I can appreciate it. So I, I feel like with that, that was something where, and I just read a bad version of this. I just finished like a bad genre, you know, beach quote unquote beach read. Mm-hmm. And it, it was, atro- it was atrocious coming off of the outsider. Which again, the outsider is not going to win a, a Pulitzer, but it's really well told for a supernatural genre mm-hmm. story. Oh, you're getting hot. I am. You're getting warm. I am. Do you have the flu? I don't. There is no way you are. You are hot. hot. I'm sweating. I'm starting to sweat. Well, I feel like you're always sweating. There's, are you drinking warm tea? Hot chocolate. <laughs> when did that start? When it got cold out. Have you always been a hot chocolate guy? Do you not like hot chocolate? I like hot chocolate, okay. but I'm not usually somebody. Let me just say you're the one who makes fun of me for drinking milk. And I feel like hot chocolate is the same. No, it's different. Well, this is water, first of all. I don't put milk in there. Not a baby. You be, you build your hot chocolate out of water? Yeah. I use the coffee maker. <laughs> I don't know. To me, that's very sad. Okay. 
water hot chocolate is already a sad how, thing. But think about how much more work using milk would take. Yeah, but also a Tuesday night hot chocolate, I don't know. It just doesn't sound like a man's drink. Well, you got me on that. <laughs> I'm not going to disagree there. <laughs> um, so the other thing we talked about doing this is you said uncut gems. Uh-huh. Did you want a hot take on uncut gems? Sure. I'm the only one who saw it. Yeah. Um, I actually... The only hot take would be that it's bad because here's, everyone has loved it. Here's the thing. If we're going to do this, you need to not let me talk so much. That's the only way we're we're rising to the top of the charts. Hmm. You've got to step up is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I did have something I wanted to talk about. Well, let me get this out. Okay. <clears throat> Uncut Gems. Yeah. Good. At least two people in the theater hated it, mm -hmm. including the guy who made the loud snoring noise oh. after every trailer right. in the beginning. Um, at the end of the movie, he stood up and said, what was that? <laughs> the only hot take after Uncut Gems, and not to add too much boomer energy to our podcast in 2020. Uh -huh. Yeah. It did make me think that I feel like a lot of people that I follow, including film critics, seem to be struggling more and more with unlikable characters and challenging stories about people that they cannot easily sympathize with. Sure. And this is like the, uh, the peak of... Don't like this character. Yeah. This story is meant to kind of give you a panic attack. Mm -hmm. And it's just supposed to be an experience. Uh, don't go into it being like, I couldn't, I, I just couldn't understand that main character and his gambling. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. I have actually two takes on that. First one is related directly to that, which is that, I watched um, Good Times. Good Times. Good Time. And I kind of got that feeling, not because I didn't like the character, but it kind of felt a little out of touch to me. Like, and I don't, I imagine Uncut Gems is not this way, but I haven't seen it, so I don't know. But Good Time is completely humorless. It is bleak. It is dark. It's depressing. It's like there's there's no signs of like levity at all. Like and and it's all about like people down on their luck. It's all about poor people, right? And it's all about like getting more how down on their right luck. miserable their lives are day in day out. There is not one redeeming aspect to any quality of their lives at all. And mm. maybe that's not. Obviously, that's not the point of the movie. Yeah, I mean, well, well, I will just say a quick counterpoint is the relationship of the brothers, right? Like, even though he gets his brother in trouble, there is something. And I think that's what the Safdies are doing, right? In this bleakness, darkness, you know, grittiness, there, there is still human connection. There, there are still I get that of those glimmers. Yeah, so that's not my point. My point is that. 
it just feels out of touch to me. It feels like a movie made by rich kids who don't understand poor people and who see that life and just see nothing but misery. So here's one thing that I will say. I I think that there's a difference between, you know, making an assessment of a film or a story and then making an assessment of the people who make mm-hmm. that stuff. Yeah. Do you know if the Safties grew no, up rich No, I'm just or saying poor? that's the impression I got. Oh, no. I know they grew up rich. Oh, you yeah, do? I read about that. Yes. I know they're rich kids. Oh. <laughs> I mean, because I looked into it because that's the feeling right. the movie gave me. I, I, I mean, mean, maybe it's this. confirmation bias, but. This is what I think sets, this is what I appreciate about you. I think a lot of people might run out there and say, and again, building off of what I was saying before about people who seem to struggle with challenging stories and characters, mm-hmm. especially coming off of Scorsese, right? Like um, Wolf of Wall Street, even mm-hmm. the Irishman. And people just want to sit there and be like, make fun of his lack of portrayal of female characters mm-hmm. and completely miss the point or miss the fact of what he's done for cinema across the globe you know, including for knocking down doors and, and elevating women filmmakers and, mm-hmm. and stories. Um, <clears throat> to me, it's just like, add some context. If you're going to make a comment outside of the actual film or story, just make sure that, yeah, you know the Safdies group rich, and then therefore your right. your perspective is so, somewhat valid or at least as valid as mine, mm-hmm. which might be... Uh, in, in opposition to yours, but I sure. don't know how they grew up. Uh, second thing that I think relates to that. Do you have anything else to say about uncut gems? No. Okay. We have just finished watching something <laughs> that I think is in that same ballpark. Oh, of, uh, characters that you're not supposed to like relate you? to you. <laughs> You finished season one. We finished season one (laughs) and we started season two last night. Wow. And, but it suffers from the same thing. And I think the, cause normally that's something that bothers me. Um, I hear John Stamos is in season two. He's in season one. Oh, is he? Yeah. Um, where you have a rich kid, you have this character who, uh, he is like a murderer, right? Like mm-hmm. he's just a straight up murderer. Like, and when we first started watching it, I compared it to Dexter, right? Because at the beginning of the show, it's kind of got that vibes where it's like, you know, he kills one person, but it's like, they go through great length to be like, Oh, this is a very bad person. And as a matter of fact, they killed somebody in the past. <laughs> so you can kind of be like, Oh, well, okay. I, I mean, I can kind no of no harm, that, no foul. Right? Yeah. By the end of the first season, he's just killed a lot of people Mm -hmm. (laughs) and none of them deserved it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the second season starts and you're kind of like starting over and I'm I'm going through and I'm kind of like, like, what are we supposed to be doing with this character? Like, am I supposed to be rooting for this guy? (laughs) Right. Like unceremoniously killed a bunch of people. (laughs) Um, But because it's like just this like throwaway trashy pulpy show, I don't really... I don't care about it too much. I can right. just kind of turn my brain off and be like, whatever. But I will say, starts off strong. 
in the first episode. Takes I, felt, a dip. I, I thought the first episode was like a great. Uh, it was exactly what I was expecting. Like just a trashy show. You said what lifetime done well, right? Take- trashy lifetime show mm-hmm. done well. That's what the first episode was. After that, it gets pretty bad. Uh, it gets like what you would. It it went from what I was hoping for to what I expected Feared. it to actually be. Uh-huh. But by the end of the first season, it got back, climbed back up a little bit. Okay. So we started watching the second season. But I feel like that's kind of the same territory. Uh, I see what you're saying. I do feel like the Safties are specifically trying to recall like the 70s era of gritty mm-hmm. New York, gritty storytelling, challenging sure. characters. So e- even more than maybe their perception of real life, I don't know that they would go that far. I I do feel like they are very they're um they're they're film geeks. Yeah. Like they, they love movies and cinema and film. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I haven't I haven't looked in to much of their like interviews, but I get the sense that more than maybe feeling like rich kid posers, that they're probably feel like they're just making cinematic references to like John Cassavetes and you know uh French connection and you know stuff like that so um but yeah I I really liked uh Uncut Gems and Kevin Garnett is real good in it (laughs) like real good yeah and The Outsider I mean, I, you want to get chewy shift right over my expectations for it are low after just watching season one of you. I, I feel like we can. But again, it's an expectations thing, right? Like I'm going into an HBO show expecting it to be good. Right. I'm not I'm going into you expecting it to be bad. Yeah. And, you know, HBO, it's based on... I don't feel like Stephen King adaptations work. I'm trying to think what Generally TV speaking. shows have worked. The, the second season of... What's the Hulu show? The one about the JFK assassination? <laughs> no, that was a bad adaptation. Yeah. Um, no, there's a, there's a show that kind of compiles a lot of his stories into one. Uh, it's on Hulu. Um, and the first season I actually did not like it had moments, but I really do feel like it lost its way. It's right on the tip of my tongue. Castle Rock. Mm. The second season of that is good, though. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, for some reason, I do think people struggle to to adapt his stuff. And I think part of it is that he has such a distinct writing style and so much of his strength strengths come out in the way that he writes his characters and I will say specifically establishes their internal 
monologues and their internal life. Mm -hmm. He does a really good job, like an economic job of giving you a sense of a character in what they're thinking um, about a situation. And that economy, I think, is unique to literature in a way that's hard for film and television to convey. Like you can't really convey internal monologues or an internal life without just voiceover. Mm -hmm. um, and that that can be hit or miss. Yeah. Um, you know what actually does a pretty good job of, of using the voiceover? Um, you? You. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, <laughs> we'll move past you. So I have a few front porch discussions uh to maybe cover first uh want to know your thoughts or interest in reading books before movies or tv shows if you have enough time and you're interested is that something that you ever think about and consider doing or do you truly not care although you reading the outsider i, I find kind of surprising but yeah um ideally I want to go in blind. I, I would have liked to go into the show blind, but at the same time, it's been so long since I've read something all the way through. I've been trying so hard to actually read something. Mm -hmm. I was like, maybe this would just be a good like kickstart because I know it'll be an easy read. I know it'll probably keep my attention throughout, so I'll just try and jump into it. But ideally, I like to go into things completely blind. With that being said, my memory is so bad that trailers like don't really affect that. Yeah. I can watch trailers all day long, and by the time the movie comes out, I won't remember a thing about it. Yeah, I, I generally don't care. But for some reason, I've read, uh, like the last five books I've read are all based on films and shows I want to watch in 2020. Mm -hmm. But I don't have a reason why I'm doing it. Yeah. I mean, that's the same reason why I started reading Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. The same reason why I read The Road, maybe. Maybe not. No, I, I think probably, that movie came way, way yeah. later. But it's the same reason why I read No Country for Old Men. It's the reason why you should have read Catch-22. And yeah. why you still should. I'll get, you, you, I'll get to it. You got through the first like three chapters this time, right? Uh, you, I can't remember. I can't even remember. Yeah, I saw your bookmark. It wasn't too far. <laughs> um, feelings about spoilers for shows, whether it's book spoilers or early reviews. Do uh, you, I don't read reviews. <clears throat> so you don't read reviews, not because of spoiler, just because you don't care. Um, or I, because it helps set your expectations. I would rather read like a recap. If we're talking about TV shows, mm -hmm. I'd rather read like a recap after, like a discussion afterwards than a review beforehand. Yeah, because I, I'd rather not know. I'd rather not like go in expecting something and I'm just not interested. Yeah, that, that's one thing that I never understood um, when episode by episode recaps started getting big. And first it started on like blogs and then it grew into like podcasts and there was like a real pushback from like, especially television critics. Um, who was it? It was, uh, was it David Simon? 
mm-hmm. who came out and he was mm-hmm. like, you can't judge a TV show episode by episode, right? right? Yeah. But I, I always thought that that discussion was kind of missed the mark in the sense that it it's not, the good ones are not reviewing. Right. I, th- I think the bad ones are reviewing. Right. The bad ones are going, okay, let's go step by step through this episode and critique it and evaluate it. I think the good ones are taking each episode and extrapolating on it, having a conversation about it, digging into it, theorizing about it, and not theorizing in a way of trying to stake ownership on the show and claim it for their their own and say, this is what I want you to do, but doing it in a way of collaborate, like collabor- collaborating with the show itself. Mm-hmm. And so I really enjoy that. You know, I, I think that that's only beneficial. I guess I could see sure. if if he was just talking about like the critics who do it, but yeah, I'm not interested in stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm generally not interested in reviews of whole series before they come out. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I kind of enjoy also the week by week. I don't enjoy binging as much as I do like what the outsider is going to do, which is going to be every Sunday, give us something to watch experience together and then discuss for a few days after. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the book, for our book discussion, mm-hmm. since episode one hasn't opened up, I grabbed, yeah, my goal is to be done ooh, by the time the show comes out a few days. So I've got like a week. It's Tuesday. Okay. <laughs> it comes out <laughs> exactly. on Sunday. Yeah, so I got five days. Um, oh, I got a work week. So to kind of talk about the book, I tried to grab a few um, reviews mm-hmm. to kind of cover the spectrum. So I grabbed a one-star review, okay, two five-star reviews, and a three-star review All right, from Amazon. Is there anyone you want to start with? One star, please. The one star is also the longest. It's from a okay. user uh, named Paco. Mm, there's a character in you named Paco. Maybe it's the same one. It's a little boy. It could be the same one. <laughs> so Paco says, and, and I kind of pulled, it was, it was a long review. Uh-huh. To be honest, I couldn't finish the book. It had some plot holes and some of the political stuff was so clumsily delivered that it jarred me out of the story. Yes, I know Stephen King is a raging SJW, mm-hmm. but he has written some great stories. Yeah. So hell, I typically yeah. don't mind his politics. Here's my favorite. I'm not a political person. So I could care less. The least racist person that you have ever met. Exactly. I love the people who pick out uh, something for its politics who are also like, listen, I don't care, which is why yeah. I'm on my fourth paragraph of right. a review of a book I didn't finish. Yeah. If you don't care about it, then just ignore it. Leave it out of your view. And that, and the thing about that argument is always, always, always politics is a part of literally every okay. single thing you are reading or watching or playing it's a part of everything. Okay. Whether you see it or not, it's a part of it. You're jumping to the end. I, I there, there's more to this. Okay. Um, but yeah, you're jumping, you're, you're jumping the gun. 
Um, all right. Been to, there, done that, Paco. To be honest, I think King is getting too old to keep up with the details, and he's gone off the rails politically. There is no nuance to his introduction of political views into his storytelling, which he used to be able to do. Americans are so trapped in politics that they can no longer relate to one another, and they don't know how to relax and have a good time. People read fiction for fun, not to be bludgeoned with clumsily delivered politics. Mm. So, hell yeah! My initial first take was: <laughs> this is a story about a mutilated boy and a supernatural entity. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if that is the best you know story to be like. Hey, keep your politics. I'm trying to read about this mutilated nine-year-old boy. (laughs) You know, like this story would have been good if not for your politics. It's it's not like he's reading Anne of Green Gables, you know, and she's like going on an anti-MAGA screed. This is this, you know, I mean, this is a horrifying genre horror story. You know, Uh, does it get particularly more? political than what i've read so far no it's just little comments here and yeah there. yeah i've noticed little things here and there but he doesn't ever lean into anything no no he does. and i i just feel like again we we could change our we should probably change our our podcast name to just everything political mm-hmm. because you're right like politics is everything mm-hmm. it's how you view your world it's mm-hmm. it's every thought that you have about your job and yeah. about you know your neighbors and about a- everything yeah. right like how you get to work is a political reality mm-hmm. i i wish i had public transportation that could get me from my place of residence to my work i would do it mm-hmm. but i don't have access mm-hmm. anyway thanks paco Hope you're listening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> this podcast is right up your alley. Yeah. All right. I grabbed two five-star reviews. Okay. These are shorter. All right. Uh, the first one is from Madison H. She spells, <laughs> yeah, she spells Stephen as Stephan, S-T-E-P-H-A-N. A-O. Yeah. Okay. Five times in a six-line review. It seems intentional at some point, right? Oh yeah. Like if if you've written six lines and you've written written out the full name, Stephen. Right. Stephen King. Stephen King. She must know somebody who spells her name like that. You know, I have noticed that before in e- in emails at work, because most of my work is done through email with other people, and. People, I I, I, I I don't think it's intentional at all, but like the guy I work with, his name is Sean, S-H-A-W-N. Mm. People will constantly write back to him, S-E-A-N, even though his name's on every email, even though he's, his name is in every signature, signature, it still comes in S-E-A-N. And it's like, can you imagine like if you were Sean and somebody just like up top, they did the Sean, but then literally every line after in that email referenced, <laughs> okay, Sean, this is what we're going to do, Sean. Thanks, Sean. Yeah. Like at some point you'd be like, do they hate me? Like, why are they doing that? <laughs> yeah. 
kind of passive aggressive bullshit exactly. is this? It made me it made me like feel like was she really leaving a five star review <laughs> or was she secretly embedding a one star review? Yeah. Yeah, I love this Stephen King story. Yeah. Stephen King is a great writer. <laughs> um the next five stars from Maureen B. Two uh, women. Her her review I just pulled um didn't finish it. Yeah. Five stars. <laughs> and then the three star, the right in the middle. Okay. JB Kindle fan. The centrist. The centrist. Mm. Far fetched. Oh. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Far fetched. He picked up a Stephen King book right. who's been writing for five decades. Yeah. Uh read it and said, not believable. <laughs> Not not like his old stuff. Yeah. Okay. And I feel like that like it's it's just insanity all the way up and down, right? Yeah. But like to me too, like the centrist does still come out kind of being the most insane. Mhm. Because it's the most detached from reality. Right. You know what I mean? Like they're the one who yeah. are like, yeah, middle of the road this supernatural writer <laughs> got a little too far-fetched right. for yeah this completely made up book makes no sense <laughs> um so yep so that's that's kind of where the book stands okay in the, in the critical consensus mm -hmm. i i wanted to do uh amazon and goodreads kind of poll and kind of compare and contrast mm -hmm. but it's literally seems the same people who review on amazon just change their names and then write mm. the same review mm -hmm. over on goodreads right yeah, yeah. And there wasn't enough differentiation it was still the one stars being upset with the politics mm -hmm. the five stars being different variations of i have not finished this but i'm so scared right now i just wanted to jump on here and give this five stars mm -hmm. and the three star people seemingly bewildered as to what a book is. Yeah. <laughs> I picked it up and read it. Don't know what all the words were about. <laughs> I read stars. the first couple of chapters. Five stars. Five stars. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, and then I kind of wrote some thoughts, some of my thoughts on the book. And I think we kind of covered a lot of it up top, but I feel like what, what, carried me through this story really is I think one thing that I liked is it's it's a collection of good people mm -hmm. who are trying to do the best they can mm -hmm. and you don't have a lot of the familiar tropes of you know the the supervisor who just is riding the detectives, mm -hmm. right? Or the unsupportive wife who just doesn't get it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, me meanwhile, she's been married to this guy for 40 years. He's been nothing but a cop. And she still, like, doesn't understand the basic tenets of his job, I guess, yeah. right? So, right. so it's just a collection of people who get what they're doing, who are trying to do the best they can at it. And I, and I like that, right? Mm -hmm. Just, just write good characters trying to do the best they can and that they'll be far more engaging than again this this genre book i read right after 
which is just every trope of like a good example of the bad book I read is like all of his characters have to be good looking and he has to like write it in a way where if he tries to differentiate, it's like this one has red hair, but she still had looks that he could <laughs> see, you know, right. himself like, um, uh, being attracted to. And then, but this one's blonde and, the, mm-hmm. and, every, and you're, and you're like, that's not like interesting. That's not mm-hmm. a, a difference of character. You're, you're just kind of trying to write your ideal. Like you're just a nerd who like everybody has to be the coolest version of mm. that person in your mind. Yeah. And you're, you're not willing to give like one of them like a flaw that they'd have to deal with or wrestle with. They're all just hot, young, smart. Mm-hmm. And it also incorporates, and you're going to get here. There's a character coming soon. And in, again, this bad book I read, the main character has a photographic memory. Mm-hmm. And it's just written. It's already like a, come on, guy. You know, like you can't <laughs> right. give, you can't give your character photographic memory number one, because I feel like that's one of those realities that is so niche. Mm-hmm. Like no one probably really understands it. So you're you're, you're writing a superhero story now, mm-hmm. and you just get to write. All right, it's a get out of jail free card. It's just something that they can use to do whatever they want with. There is a scene where <laughs> his main character is, oh my God, it's so, it's unbelievable. He's trying to like relax. Mm-hmm. And so he decides he's going to watch a movie. Mm-hmm. But guess what, Justin? He doesn't need to rent it. <laughs> he watched it once and now he can close his eyes. Uh-huh. He can replay the whole movie in his mind, beat for beat, and it's better than watching the actual movie. See, at that point, I would close the book and never open it again. Exactly. (laughs) I I got it for free. Uh It was one of Audible's free, they offer like two free books a month. Uh Uh-huh. And I read, and it was like, you know, just a bunch of people just read everything. We're like, oh, it's great, you know, and, and I was like, whatever. And I read The Outsider. And I did kind of want to contrast. So I was like, I'll, I'll read the genre. I'm also still trying to get through the second book of the three body problem, mm-hmm. which is amazing. But that, that guy is so smart. It hurts my brain. Mm-hmm. Like I need to like pause and then pick up the, uh, photographic memory, dude. Right. <laughs> and it's, it's just so bad. And, uh, Stephen King is going to introduce a character. And she has kind of um, like she she's kind of on the spectrum. So she has, you know, some abilities uh, that that help her in like her investigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel like she works really well. Um, and I think it, it again, it speaks to strengths of fleshing out interesting characters in a way that a lot of other genre writers aren't interested in doing because I think it's hard to do. I think Mm -hmm. it's easy to be like, yeah, he can, he has a photographic memory and he's hot (laughs) and every realm's hot. And one of them's going to have sex and he's going to, it's so bad. Anyway. Um, 
so yeah, so I really like, uh, I, I just really enjoyed the story. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not going to set the world on fire. Um, I, I kind of had a feeling like you were going to not read the book and not really care about story spoilers. But now I, I don't want to spoil anything. I want you to read and experience it. So I will hold off on everything else. Okay. Uh, in terms of the show, it's written by Richard Price. Okay. Didn't he do, um, wasn't he, um, Dracula or something? <laughs> what? <laughs> wasn't he Dracula? <laughs> Isn't there an old actor named about? Richard Price? <laughs> he wrote the, um, the crime miniseries with Riz Ahmed and, yeah, uh, John that's, Totoro. That's a better poll, not... <laughs> Wasn't he Dracula? And who was Dracula it, or Nosferatu? Yeah, in your mind, when was when was that made? Who is Nosferatu? It's old. I, okay, that's why yeah. it's a joke. So, so you weren't joking. What was his name? You're, you're thinking of Richard. Uh, he just passed away. Richard Price, Dracula. Uh. <laughs> Yeah. I think uh, Google now just auto populates. It's constantly trying to guess yeah. what you're searching just for. Just what word, not not what phrase, yeah, it's but just what word. Focusing on the word. So I'm like getting Dracula and I'm thinking, aha, I got it. And then it just gives me a bunch of mush. Yeah. Uh, no, he wrote on the deuce. He wrote uh-huh. on the night of, right? For Ahmed, the Wire. Okay. He also wrote Ransom, the Mel Gibson movie. <laughs> yeah. Clockers. Clockers is great. Exactly. The he color- wrote Clockers. Hmm. Hmm. The Color of Money. That's the sequel to the uh, pool movie, right? Huh. The Hustler. Yeah. Okay. Um, now you've got me. Hold on. Richard Price. I'm going to put not Dracula so it doesn't get confused. Um, yeah, all filmography writer. Because I, I, now on Clockers, I'm like, did he get story credit or did he actually... Because I thought the whole thing with Spike Lee was like uh, 25th Hour was like the first movie he directed that he didn't write. Clockers was way before that. So Richard Price wrote the book. Oh, okay. Clockers is based on and the screenplay with Spike Lee. Okay. He also... He also wrote Freedom Land... In 2000's Shaft. <laughs> okay. So. A little bit of a left turn there. That's the that's the pedigree of Richard Price. Okay. Um, and I think the, the, the cast is good, right? We got um, Jason Bateman, who also directed one mm-hmm. of the episodes. He's... He's also in his like serious mm-hmm. um, 
actor phase. Mm-hmm. Have you seen any of his series, Ozark? We watched the first season of Ozark. Yeah, what'd you think? It was too much. It's a little too... Yeah. Um, it's a little too uh, imposter-y. You know what I mean? imposter you mean like like you could tell ripping he's just off ripping off everything he's seen yeah you know what i mean um cynthia arrivo is in this i i don't know who that is um she was in a movie that didn't get enough love um bad times at the el royale mm. and choosing widows nope. okay ben mendelson all right. Oh, that's right. Yep. I'm very uh, excited about him. Bill Camp, who every time he pops up, he's one of those guys. What Super was excited. the other bloodline? Is Jason Bateman in bloodline? No, right? That's <laughs> Ben Mendelsohn is though, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Bloodline was also it bit, was, a bit too much. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like we're we're starting to level out. Um, I will say that I like generally where I feel like people are going with some of the upcoming uh, TV shows and films in 2020. I actually got a little uh, frustrated today. I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about and, and just kind of making a reference to 2020 and how like bad the film scene mm-hmm. and as you know every like, year these guys must not have seen my 157 <laughs> long movie fa- upcoming movies of 2020 list <laughs> exactly um <laughs> yeah i i have a i have a list to send you guys um <laughs> friend me on letterbox so i can <laughs> i can share set aside a weekend <laughs> right now it's only 131 films oh, okay, okay. It was I was a lot closer than I thought I would be. <laughs> I will say, um, the year before, I think I had a little too much time on my hands, and I kind of mm. went a little overboard because, as opposed to when you had enough time to pick a hundred and thirty something. All right, <laughs> hundred thirty is more reasonable, uh, especially because I'm looking at my uh, 2019 list, mm-hmm. and it still has. 105 films on it uh, because a lot of those like didn't even come out in 2019. Oh, right. Like that's where I really went. I think I was pushing like 200. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Um, just for reference in 2019, I've seen 92 films. Not including the old older. That's just 2019 films. Mm-hmm. Is that like a, Record? Humble brag or something? No, it's context. Okay. Don't you want to know more about me? (laughs) I'm I'm opening up over here. Okay. How many movies? I'd I'd like to know how many movies you saw in 2019. How many movies from 2019? Uh, I feel like you could probably like three or four. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I couldn't even tell you what they were. You know, it's funny. Um, So there's a night when you uh, had a little too much to drink. Uh Uh-huh. Do you remember talking about the lighthouse? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I, there are certain tells, <laughs> and one of your tells is 
you know, it, it is, is a good one. Like when you've had a little too much to drink, you open up uh-huh. a little bit. You kind of, your, your guards come down and you just kind of talk a little more freely about whatever it is that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. We're talking to a guy about movies in 2019 and you, you also, you're just kind of sitting back and then you just, you were, I don't know if you brought up the lighthouse, but the lighthouse came up and you said, and I quote, that for me is like the perfect movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> You're like, that is the perfect movie for me. Everything about that movie is just perfect. Uh-huh. Do you still feel that uh-huh. way? I mean, I saw it twice in the theaters and yeah. I was trying to see it a third time. Yeah. I told him, I was like, I was like, he paid for my ticket. Yeah. And you were like, yeah, you got very excited. Um, yeah, I guess so. So per, so that is your like, cause you're like when people make a movie like for me, it, it'll be like the lighthouse. Yeah. Yeah. I can't uh, expand on that at all. Yeah. But I think so. Good. See, now we've learned it more just about was, yeah, other. it's easy to understand. It's a lot of fun to watch. Do, so what if I told you that a lot of people said it's not easy to understand? What, what do you feel about? Do you feel like those people are trying to make a simple story more complicated? Yes, I do. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I think they're just trying to make too much of it. Like I think on a very basic level, it's easy to understand. Like the shoot the dancing bears guys had a very great in-depth conversation with like some stuff that I picked up on and a lot of stuff that I didn't pick up on and that I think is very relevant and makes a lot of sense and is like very smart and insightful. But I think on a basic level, if you're trying a little bit, you can follow along and get sort of the the broader meanings of the movie. I, I do feel like that that's something that's shared in a lot of my favorite films of this last year um, with Midsummer and The Lighthouse which is it it doesn't forget to deliver on its basic story premise right while also feeling like there's more there whether it's textually or just cinematically in terms of how the film looks visually mm-hmm. you feel like there's more to be discovered if i if i go back and watch exactly. this again i'm going to see more right. and find more stuff right and so so it has that depth while also and i think that's the one thing that <clears throat> i was nervous about in watching the lighthouse first and when you said you were going to go watch it i got very nervous because <laughs> again some of the early word was you don't really know what that was what that was mm-hmm and so I was like, oh, is this just going to be like a obtuse, like feel like a masturbatory exercise mm-hmm. uh, on, on the part of the director? Or is it actually going to like have something that can track without knowing what he's thinking in the moment? Right. right. And it totally delivers on that. Like yeah. as a straight ahead story. Yeah. You don't have to overthink it you just need to watch these two men get stuck in a lighthouse together and the blaring horn exactly and start going mad yourself and watch them go mad and be like this is great this is an experience right and it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun it's yeah it's not like super heady it's not like doesn't have this big like overarching 
theory on like the meaning of life or whatever. It just is a movie about one guy going crazy and one guy who is potentially already, already crazy, crazy and goes even crazier. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. And like I said, you can pull deeper stuff out of it. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's probably for me, the perfect part of it is it's a movie that after it's over, it makes you want to go back and read as much about it as you can and see it again as soon as possible. So you can start picking out all the little things that you know are building up to what the ending is. You know what I mean? You can start figuring out when does this start to break? When does, how does this play into, you know what I mean? And it just is, it's like, like a puzzle almost. It's, mm -hmm. and it's kind of like, um, uh, Shutter Island in that way. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Was yeah. one of those movies for me where Shutter Island's not a great movie. I liked it, but when it was over, it was definitely one of those where like, oh man, I want to watch this again so I can, you know, and then you go so, go home and you see the YouTube videos. They're like, "Oh, you look at this scene, and it's, you know." Well, well, to me, it's also like the scene in Shutter Island where the woman is drinking from the glass, right? Exactly. And she reaches up and she doesn't have the glass. It's empty. It's empty. Yeah. And and you just you feel like, and and that and that's kind of what I'm getting at. Is I feel like people are taking more risks with the stories they're telling and how they're telling them. Um, one of my favorite films of 2018, The Favorite by Yorgos Lanthimos, mm. who's also a guy that I really like. Um, Yorgos, like the bagel shop? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he tells really idiosyncratic stories and in a way that will have elements and aspects to them that will jar you in the moment, but not take you out. Mm -hmm. And I think people are realizing like storytelling cinema and, and television, it's more elastic than maybe you, we once thought it was where you just need to tell this story as straightforwardly as possible and clearly as possible. I think people are getting more open to the idea of being challenged in different ways. And mm. again, it, it, it takes work and effort. Like you can't just throw up something random. It's, it's David Lynch, right? Like David Lynch for me works and I can't tell you why, Yeah. but, but I know that it comes from a singular vision. I know he has an idea for what he's putting up there and it works because everything he does freaks me out. It mm -hmm. terrifies me, mm -hmm. you know? And, and that is again, the, the work of somebody who has a clear vision. So you can't just like, let's just be weird for weird sake. And you can't, you know, just start telling a story without knowing where it's going, like in lost where it's like, Oh, well, mm -hmm. we'll just, we'll figure this thing out. It's like, no, you won't. And the audience <laughs> is smart enough to like, know that you, that you're not, mm -hmm doing it. You right. feel like you're doing it in the writer's room <laughs> and the execution is like, Oh crap. Okay. We don't know what yeah. we're doing, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and again, that's where I will agree with you on breaking bad. Again, what everyone says is like the greatest show of the decade, potentially, you know, they, they like this idea of writing themselves in a corner to write themselves out. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't anticipate the outsider will be exciting in that way. I'm not anticipating a run to the Reddit thread mm -hmm. afterwards. 
let's see what that meant or visually what did that reference. I think it is going to be just a more straightforward uh, you know, story told linearly mm-hmm. and maybe not too excitingly, mm-hmm. but maybe something like True Detective, right? Where I think, I don't know about you, but it's like, I want a show to be like True Detective and then go full Cthulhu in the end. Mm-hmm. Like I would love just a outside of reality, cosmic mm-hmm. summation of the story. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that, you know, I've, I've gotten a story that was that bold to do that. And the outsider, I definitely don't think it's going to be that, but I think I'm just hoping for just a, just what the book is Mm -hmm. just a really engaging fun watch that has as much politics as they want because it's going to involve a mutilated child. (laughs) So I'm already not reading this just or watching for escapism, right? Pure entertainment. (laughs) If you're entertainment, (laughs) you might as well throw some politics in there. Why not? Yeah. Um, Tell me more about the mutilation, please. (laughs) Enough with this SJW bullshit. Uh, yeah, I believe I was reading about a serial murderer (laughs) enough about uh, the 1% please. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, so I think those are roundabout way of getting to our expectations of the show, but, uh, so that, that, that's what I'm hoping for and, and we'll see. Uh, I, you know, I do think there's something to be said. Maybe we can pick this up once we see the first episode, but about what we, especially after you finish the book Mm -hmm. is like, what makes a good adaptation? That's something else I've been thinking a lot about, Mm -hmm. especially after Watchmen, which I wanted to cover. Yeah. Um, because Watchmen is not an adaptation. It's a continuation. Right. But to me, the TV show. Yeah. Watchmen, the TV show. But to me, it represents some of the best aspects of adaptation that, Mm -hmm. that, that I look for, which is an understanding of the source material and throw out the word respect. I don't care about that. Just Mm -hmm. understand it. And then a specific interpretation of it. So I understood what the creator was intending with their story. I then read it and had this specific reaction to it. And I am now going to, you know, combine those two um, realities together. Mm-hmm. The intention the, the, uh, of the original uh, creators and my interpretation to create my own story. So I'm not looking for like a line by line representation of the book. And again, in a, in a show that I'm not expecting to deviate at all, I think it'll be interesting to see what they, how they deviate. Um, but I'd also be open to like a full refresh, like a fresh take on, on this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting question because like we we're saying earlier with like no country for old men, you can make the argument of like, what's the point? Like the movie is such a, close 
interpretation of the book that reading the book, I felt like I was like reading the screenplay for the movie. Yeah. So you could say like, what's the point? But at the same time, like being able to like the movie's just so incredibly made that it kind of makes it the argument for itself. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like that's uh, an exception that proves the rule because it's the Cone brothers. Like, right. Like you're, you're dealing with like, the 1% of yeah. filmmakers who, who can, I think anything that they adapt, I'm going to be like, Oh, you know, ready for. And yeah, that one is a, is a line by line, but I feel like only the Coen brothers could have. Yeah. And I feel like the issue you run into, especially with Stephen King stuff, uh, but also with like Watchmen, the movie. And that when you run into this, like supernatural stuff, like a giant squid that does whatever it does in the comic book. You know what I mean? Kills 3 million people. Right. You, or more to the point in it, when there's a giant intergalactic spider talking to uh, turtles, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, how do you convey that in a movie versus five million people's imaginations you know what i mean yeah like i'm naturally going to read it in a way and picture it in my mind in a way that, that makes sense makes to you. sense to me mm-hmm. so if i see that and it deviates in one little way i'm gonna be like this looks ridiculous <laughs> like <laughs> who thought this was a good idea you know what i mean right and so are however many other people who don't see it that way yeah you're like, everyone has red hair in my imagination. None of these people have red hair. <laughs> right. This is ridiculous. And that's one of the reasons that I really liked uh, Green River Killer, which I bring up all the time, is because that's another thing that's like it visualizes things in a way that I feel like can only be done in, in, a, graphic the, novel. in a graphic novel. Yeah. You try and do it in a movie or a TV show, it's going to look silly and obvious and you know what I mean? So some of that is just like the medium. And I don't know, obviously, the end to The Outsider yet, but I have I know that it's like some supernatural thing. So it's like, and with Stephen King, you know what I mean? His endings are always so, like, it is one, The what happens towards the end of Insomnia is so <laughs> ridiculously <laughs> stupid and over the top. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like... But it kind of works, so I don't know. Yeah, there, there's an interesting element I, I've kind of referenced that, that a character is going to come into play, and Stephen King also does this where he just slowly builds out a world and connects in ways that you mm-hmm. didn't anticipate. I remember when he wrote under Richard Bachman mm-hmm. and reading and realizing like, oh, this is – a different take of the same story that he wrote as Stephen King. Mm-hmm. He's writing as an alter ego and doing that alter ego's take on it and <clears throat> tying things together. Or again, Castle Rock, right? This unifying place that kind of ties together a lot of his stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this, he introduces a character that he actually, this book represents like a trilogy this character appears in mm-hmm. and it's just a small truly they didn't uh announce up front and it's kind of like the the m night Shyamalan thing where he made unbreakable 
and then mm-hmm. split and then secretly tied it together and then made glass. And it's this trilogy and people freaked out about. And it's just, uh, I, I think I like the way that Stephen King builds out those worlds and connects those stories and those characters in ways that maybe you didn't anticipate. Yeah. Um, and that's where, when you said, is this show going to be a one-off? This story is, but that character is not. Mm-hmm. So it will be interesting to see if it does well, which I think it will. Mm-hmm. I, I think, again, I think people got a subscription to HBO for Game of Thrones and they might still be holding on to it, just wondering sure. what's coming next. And this to me is the first show since Game of Thrones that they're, it's, that really seems like swing for the fences in a more kind of generic true detective esque like right. come for the mystery. No, if has any has anything because HBO is kind of like legit, right? Like they make good stuff. Mm-hmm. And has anybody known for good stuff like adapted Stephen King stuff? You know what I mean? Like obviously the shining, but that's a long time ago. That's different. But the, like, yeah, the only thing that I'm thinking of is do you remember when we were kids and just like CBS and NBC right. always had miniseries right. based they had on it. They, the Langoliers. Langoliers. I remember um, Rose Matter. Storm of the Century. Storm of the Century. Uh, Under the Dome was a more recent. But and that's bad. That's very bad. Um, but like HBO is known for high quality stuff. Yeah, Castle Rock. I'm trying to think if HBO adapted any of his stuff. I feel like they must have. Yeah, I don't know. Now they're slumming. I guess so. <laughs> I mean, the they've come crawling uh, to Stephen King. I guess the recent it remake, it right that was remade recently. I think that kind of falls in that territory. But there was nobody like prestigious that did those, right? That was just kind of like a. You mean in terms of director and yeah. and stars and stuff? Yeah. I mean, it had a really good cast. Yeah. Um, that kid from Stranger Things is in everything. Yeah, he's in it. He's in the new Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. I showed Indy the Ghostbusters from 2016. Oh yeah, yeah, he loved it. <laughs> really, but it also <laughs> happened to be the unrated version. That I didn't realize. Uh, yeah, so uh, it had a few more like risque, yeah, stuff in it, and a scene that I didn't remember where. Melissa McCarthy gets possessed and she starts mm. just like um, green slime starts running out of her nose mm-hmm. and it looks disgusting. <laughs> and he watched it and I was like, oh, I feel really bad. Like, I'm grossed <laughs> out. Like, right. This is gross. And I was, when he was like, hey, you want to watch Ghostbusters? Let's watch this, buddy. <laughs> uh, you should show my bridesmaids next. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's primed. He's yeah. ready. He loved it. Yeah. He was like, are they going to make more of these? I was like, if you only knew, (laughs) if you only knew, son, (laughs) soon this world is going to open up like the diseased flower it is, and you're going to see for what it really is. Arguing on internet forums in no time. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You'll you'll be like, hey, dad, maybe that all-female ghost person (laughs) wasn't really a good idea. (laughs) All right. Um, also, I want to say, uh, Charlie just walked up to me and handed me this. Oh, really? And smiled. She didn't say anything. Is it mine now? Should I take it? Is That's she... Sophia's, actually. Oh, well, she gave me Sophia's hat. Yeah, I don't know. 
Oh, she cries tomorrow because I left her <laughs> gift to me. Might. Was, she very well might. I'll just hide it somewhere. You should hide it. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all I got. Yeah. That's all I got. So we'll see on Sunday, next Tuesday. For the next 10 weeks, we're locked in. Yeah. No matter what. No matter what. Reaching for the soundboard. He's deciding what he should press. It's gonna be parts and rhythm. Nipple on my ear, please be my friend. Nipple on my ear. No, I can't hear it now. Well, you're gonna have to. The one thing about this, I didn't have a lot of time. I now have. So there's, there's, one, two, three, four, five, six, eight of these. I now have 24. Some guy went driving through your neighborhood blaring Sugar Ray really? the other week. Yeah, when I was pulling up, I was going to tell you about it. It was when the whole family was here and I forgot. But yeah, man, he was like, he was on a motorcycle and just. There's another guy in this neighborhood who walks around. Uh, he walks in the street, hands in his pocket, and he stares you down every single time he walks around the neighborhood. Doesn't say a word. As soon as it's possible to make eye contact, he will make eye contact and just stare at you until he's out of the reasonable distance to make eye contact. Is he older? No. He's young. Yeah. Have you said hi to him? No. Maybe he's just waiting for you to say hi. It's so weird. It's very strange.